Oh man, Ascent Church, good morning. It is so good to be here. I have only been here not even a month in Colorado. I'm so much the new guy, it's not even funny. And uh, I got to know Jim and Bill a few months ago, and honestly, I don't know if it was their good looks or their charm, but they sold me on Ascent, and Nicole and I are just so excited to be part of this church family. And I gotta let you guys know, we were actually talking to a handful of churches in the area about opportunities but it was when we actually came here in person, when we got to meet some of you guys, get to know the staff, we just knew this was family. It just felt like we were home. And I made Bill and Jim wait a day or two before I called them back to say yes, I let them sit on a little bit, but Nicole and I knew when we left, we're like, oh yeah, this is it. Honestly, it's just been an incredible first month. And you guys just need to know, sometimes it's hard to see when you're in the middle of it. This is a special place. I mean, in four, four and a half years to see what has happened in this church, is just incredible. You guys need to know, this is not normal. And I just got to show some love to Jim and Bill and thank them for even starting Ascent Church because none of us would be here if they didn't take that step. And I cannot wait to see what the next two years are going to bring. Can we just so, show some love to Jim and Bill real quick? Thank you guys. I'm honored to be here. Now, before we dig in, can I just do some shameless like family introductions real quick? Can we tolerate that? Guys, I promise this will be quick. I know the ladies will enjoy this more. But real quick, I want to introduce you to my wife, Nicole, of five years. Um, oh, you can clap. Sure. Uh, we kind of have a crazy story. I'm from Chicago. She's from Tampa. We met in Missouri. We lived in Indianapolis, and now we're in Colorado. Our lives make perfect sense. But um, we are absolutely loving it. And that little guy right there is Little Easton. And he is probably crying in the kids' area right now, but we'll talk about that later. He just turned one last week, and I got a picture from his first birthday. Shirtless in suspenders. The best. And uh, I was against this, but Nicole insisted he get his own cake. And this was the result of his first birthday cake experience. And, you know, he's right at one years old. Some of your parents know their, start, their personality's coming out. And he's a little stubborn. He's a little strong-willed. He's got this personality that's hard to contain. And I'm just like, it is amazing how much these kids take after their mothers sometimes. It's incredible. So I love little Easton. And some of you guys will understand I have to introduce this next family member. You will appreciate this. But this is actually my first child. She's an equal member of the family. This is little Bentley. She's our three-year-old boxer. And some of you guys, I've heard people say, once you have human kids, you won't care about your dogs as much. And that has not been true at all for me. I have Easton right here, and Bentley is like right about there under Easton. I just love her. Any dog people in the room, you can attest to the dog-loving thing. Love dogs. If you've got any good dog park suggestions, dog play dates, I do all of that. So anyways, it's been great. Now, Nicole and I, I mean, we are in transition mode right now. I mean, not even a month. We have literally uprooted our entire lives. We've never lived in Colorado before. We have no family, no history. I mean, it has been a transition. And I think all of us in here, you have had transition moments before. And no matter how good they are, there's always a little bit of, like, difficulty and tension, you know, in some of this change that you have to go through. Some of you parents I know, you've sent kids to college and, like, that's such a cool milestone, you know, sending them out into the next season and everything. But there's a little bit of tension there, too, because house feels a little bit more empty. You're just praying to God that they don't pick a major that will land them back in your house in four years. Some of you students, I know, you, some of you guys, you're starting high school, like, in a few weeks. And you finally get away from the sixth graders. You're in the academic big leagues. 
And yet, in a few weeks, you honestly are kind of wondering, like, is my friend group going to stick together? Where am I going to sit at lunch? How are my teachers going to pan out? I mean, it's honestly kind of a little bit stressful. I'm starting a new job. That's, come on, a little bit of stress. You know, you're trying to learn the ropes, meet everybody, see if you can leave at 437 and if it's still okay to do that. And when I started, this is no joke, Bill and Jim sit me down. They say, you know, Brian, you just have to know the person who has been leading the student stuff and some other things you're going to be doing, he might be the most loved person in the entire church. Not only that, everybody likes his wife even more than him. And if you have not met Marie, somebody just said preach, I think. Um, like, here's the thing. I met Maurice on my first day. We hung out almost the whole day. And I went home to Nicole. I said, I like Maurice better than I like me, Nicole. I can't compete with that personality, the, how awesome Maurice is. And then I met Aisha, and it was just over. I'm like, what have I done? Like, I am already starting as a failure. But I'm so excited to be here. I promise you it's been great. The hardest transition for me, though, has been, honestly, this relocation to Colorado and digesting the housing market. Now, I know you Californians, this was like a deal for you. I moved here from Indiana, people. And let me just say, this is an actual Indiana house right here. Now, don't worry, that's not my house. You're probably thinking, what church did he come from? Um, that's not my house, but I'm not even going to tell you what that house would cost in Indiana because I would cause a mass exodus from this church and area. That is a true Indiana house. Now, when Nicole and I moved out here to Colorado, we started checking out Zillow and all these websites, and still, this is the best deal that I've been able to find online. That's all I've been able to find. <laughs> Somebody help me. Seriously, what is happening here? It's crazy. My goodness. Well, either way, here's the thing. This whole transition and stuff, I know that what Nicole and I are going through and stuff, these are privileged American problems, right? I mean, I am gainfully employed, living in Colorado. I mean, these are really small problems, right? But I know that so many of us in this room, you have actually been through real transition. I mean, you've been through stuff, actual change that has impacted the way your life even operates. And I know there's people in this room where you thought you were just going to ride a job or a business right into retirement, and all it took was one downturn, one round of layoffs, and forget about retirement. You're just trying to figure out the bills right now. I know there's people in this room where you do the Colorado thing. You eat well, you exercise, you're active. And honestly, it takes one doctor's report to change the whole way you thought your life was going to pan out. There's people in this room where you thought your marriage was going to be till death do us part. And now you are raising kids in a new reality as a single parent. There's actually people in this church I know where your marriage was till death do us part. And you're going to go home to an empty house after church today. There is just something about life where if you live long enough, it will impose change on you, whether you want it to or not. And a lot of times it is painful, it's hard, it's discouraging. And all of us you know, it's the end of July, summer's coming to an end. All of us are going through some transition soon. Some of us, it's just you're getting back into the school routine. You're coming back from vacations. Life is kind of hitting a restart, stuff like that. Some of you guys, you are in major life change and transition right now. It's financial. It's relational. It's geography. There's still people I know moving here from out of areas like me. But there is actually a place in the Bible 
that I think speaks so well to this human experience of just navigating change, trying to figure all the transition out. And this is actually something that has spoken so much to me in my life. And if you've never heard of this guy, Moses, he actually, at one point in history, led an entire nation of people out of slavery in Egypt, and he brought them to what was called the promised land, which is just modern-day Israel. You can see all this stuff today. Moses brings all these people right to the edge of Israel at the Jordan River, and he passes away. This guy Joshua takes on the leadership mantle, and this entire nation of people, they've been traveling for 40 years getting to this moment. This is a major transition point. This is everything they've been hoping for, looking forward to, huge transition. I just wonder, what would you say to a whole nation of people before they're about to go through some incredible transition like this. I mean, what would be like your single word for them? Because God actually gives this entire nation of people a single charge as they get ready to go through a massive life adjustment. And this is what God says to these people. We're going to read from this book in the Bible called Joshua, which is the whole account of how this played out. Chapter 1, this is what God says. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, at first read, doesn't that just seem like a great coffee cup verse or something to put on a shirt? You know, basically, God's just saying, hey, keep your chin up, don't wet your pants in fear, and I got your back. We got this recovered. I mean, it just seems pretty simple, but I actually think there's so much nuance here. I think there's so many layers. There's so many things we can pull out, and I just want to take a few minutes to just unpack what I think God is saying here. And the first thing I just want to pull out is God has the audacity to say, do not be afraid. Now, does anybody in here, you actually enjoy scary movies? Like you seek them out. Like you want to actually watch one on purpose. I see those hands. What is wrong with you people? Seriously, why would you ever do that on purpose? I was seven years old and I was forced to watch The Shining with some friends. I still have not recovered from that experience. I actually walk up basement stairs faster than I need to because you just don't know what's going to get you. Does anybody else have that kind of weird thing? Okay, I'm not the only one. I don't understand that at all. And here's the thing, though. There are some, like, fun fears about life. Like, some of you thrill seekers, you actually go after this stuff. Maybe it's a scary movie. You love roller coasters or any of the crazy stuff you can do, and it's kind of fun to get, you know, your blood flowing and everything. But there are just fears in life that are not fun at all. And some of you guys, you know what it feels like to have to take a class or exam that has implications for your entire career trajectory, and you know it's a do-or-die situation. That is not fun. There is nothing enjoyable about that. Some of you guys, you know what it feels like to live paycheck to paycheck. That is not a fun pressure to have on a day-to-day basis. I know there's parents in this room, you have a troubled child, the worry and anxiety and frustration that comes day in and day out with that, that is not a fun fear. And something about everyday life, I think just creates this fertile soil for fear, anxiety, and worry just to take root in our lives. To the point where, honestly, I think you just start thinking, how is this actually going to pan out? Like, how do I actually get through this and come out on the other side? I have no idea how I'm even going to survive this thing. And it was last year, Nicole and I were minding our own business in Indianapolis, doing our thing, and we just started having this whole conversation of, you know, where do we want to end up long term? Because obviously it's not going to be Indiana. 
right? Who, nobody stays there their whole lives on purpose. No offense to any Indiana natives, but come on. So we're talking about where we want to end up long term. So we're talking about the obvious choices. Okay, maybe Chicago to be near my family, maybe Florida to be near Nicole's. And through a handful of conversations, we're like, all right, probably once the kids start getting born and in school, we're probably going to end up in Florida. We started looking at areas, checking it all out. That was kind of the loose plan. And then uh, we find out that Nicole's pregnant with Easton, and she twists my arm into doing something called a baby moon, which if you don't know what that is, that's where your wife forces you to take her on a vacation because she is carrying your child. And you can't say no because it's your fault that it happened in the first place. And so Nicole's like, we're going on a baby moon. And we say, let's go to Colorado. Let's see the mountains. I'd never been. This will be fun. Cool. Baby moon in Colorado. Well, a week before the trip, I get a call from a pastor I used to work with in Chicago who's now out here. And he calls me up and says, Brian, I think you really got to think about moving out to Colorado. He's like, it's growing. It needs churches. It needs pastors. I think you'd be a great fit. He's like, what do you think about that? And I was like, well, I'm going to be there next week if you want to buy me lunch and we can talk. So we meet up with him. And eventually it leads to connections with some other pastors in the area, organizations. And just kind of fast forward, it got to a point where Nicole and I actually were being actively recruited by pastors and organizations in the area to start a new church somewhere in Colorado. It got so far where they were saying, Brian, if you guys will just come out, we will give you housing, full salary, and hundreds and thousands of dollars to get this thing off the ground. And Nicole and I are just like, oh my goodness, look at all these opportunities that are opening up. This is crazy. Maybe this is God. I don't know. And we're just talking through this whole thing. Well, it was earlier this year. We took another trip out. We sat down with some of these pastors. And Nicole and I were like, let's just commit ourselves to full transparency because there's no point, you know, in hiding anything. So I sat down with these guys and I said, guys, I have never lived in Colorado. Um, I don't have any family there. I don't know much about the area. Everything everybody tells me is that it's a bunch of pot-smoking hippies and that it's cloudy and rainy and snowy nine months out of the year, which I know you guys are trying to keep that lie going so nobody else moves here. But surprise, people are starting to find out it's great here. So, uh, so we just told them, we said, we just, we've heard stories of people dropping into cities and it can go really bad for them and we just, you know, we're trying to process this. Well, a few days later, Nicole and I are back in Indiana, Saturday morning. I get a call from one of these guys and he says, Brian... If you have, like, any hesitation and you don't think, like, God's asking you to do this and this is what you have to do and this is a do-or-die thing, he's like, this is all off the table. Like, it's, it's gone. There's no house. There's no money. There's nothing. And he's like, we're going to give you 30 days to figure out if this is what you absolutely have to do. Otherwise, it's all gone. Now, to make matters a little bit more complicated, that was Saturday morning. In a week, I was about to stand before our church of a couple thousand people and say, bye, I resigned my job, we're moving on. Nicole and I had sold our house, had a closing date set up, and that was 10.58 a.m. when I got that call. At 11 a.m., I had a phone call with a builder out here to ask me if we were absolutely for sure going to build a new house because four other people were waiting in line to take our lot if we did not commit some earnest money right now. Has anybody else in here ever felt like your back was like against a wall before? And honestly, you get in situations sometimes where you're just like, what is going on? Like, how could God even put me in this place? Did God put me in this place? Was this me? What, like, terror sets in. And honestly, <laughs> when I see things like this, 
do not be afraid, that feels like such an insensitive thing for God to say sometimes. Because I'm like, God, do you see my life? Have you watched the news lately? There are so many things that can ruin my life, and you're telling me not to be afraid? I mean, seriously, get some compassion. And here's what's so funny. God doesn't even stop there. He doesn't stop with don't be afraid. He takes it a step further. And he says, not only do I want you not to be afraid, but do not be discouraged. Now, as if fear wasn't bad enough, now God's saying, I don't even want you to get down on yourself. Is anybody else failing this test right now? Okay, am I the only one? I had a discouraging moment a few weeks ago when Nicole and I were hanging out, and she was giving me the look. That look that only your wife of five years can give, you know, like the look. And I'm like, oh, this, where's this going? This could go well for me, you know? And she's kind of giving me that look, like thoughtful, reflective, something's going on up there. She looks at me with those loving eyes and says, you know, we should really take some of the hair from your chest and put it on your head. I feel so encouraged in my marriage sometimes. It just builds me up. It's, it's, it's amazing. We're going to write a book soon, How to Have a Great Marriage, Five Years, So Much Experience. But I, I never really thought of myself as really a discouraged person, honestly, until getting into ministry because a lot of my job is sitting down with people and them telling me their stories of, honestly, just the things they're going through. And they're asking me, Brian, what is going on? How? Is this God? Why is God allowing this? How could he let me go through this? And, you know, I love being able to be there for people like that. But to be honest, a lot of times I'm just left with no words. And I'm just thinking, man, I'm feeling kind of discouraged right now. I don't even know if I have a clean answer for you. It's bringing me down. And I know that all of us know kind of the experience of discouragement. But I think it's always good to put some language around it. And I think, I think honestly, you're discouraged when you get to a place where you start to think to yourself, I don't think this can get better. Like, there's no possibility. This won't. It can't. I think someone's discouraged. When you just start to lose any sense of hope, maybe in one area of life, maybe in your whole life, I think discouragement has a heaviness to it. It's almost like this feeling of defeat. It's just like pulling you down. And what's interesting to me is I feel like God sometimes allows, maybe even leads us into places of transition and change in our life which are just breeding grounds for discouragement. Because sometimes I feel like God allows us to go through seasons and places that are really hard and require so much sacrifice. And honestly, I feel like it sometimes hurts to follow God. And what is so interesting to me about this story, I really want to encourage you, some of you guys, if you've never read it before, check out the book of Joshua. It's a book in the Bible. If you've never read it, this book fascinates me because it's the whole account of how this nation of people entered into this promised land. And what is so fascinating to me is God is the one who led these people here. He brought them here. This wasn't random. This wasn't chance. God intentionally brought them to this place. And after 40 years of walking around in a desert, I would think that God would be like, you know what? I think they've suffered enough. I'm going to prefab this promised land for them. I'm going to put some golf courses up, some pools. We're going to create a resort setting for these people. I mean, they need a break, right? But read the story. Because God brings them to this edge of this promised land, and it is full of nations and people groups who wanted to kill them. 
And God's basically like, hey, here's your promised land. You can have it. By the way, it's full of people who want you dead, and some of them are a lot bigger than you are. Good luck. Go get them. And if you read the story, these people had a fight. They had a battle. They suffered. People died to take hold of this promise that God made them. Do you think there were maybe some discouraging days during that whole process? I mean, I can imagine eager wives and moms waiting for their husbands to come home from battle. And they find out that they're going to be a single mom now the rest of their life. Seeing, you know, families come to an end, the mess, the pain, the confusion. There had to be days where these people were like, what is going on? Like, wasn't this supposed to be the promised land? Didn't God bring us here? Did we miss something? Should it be this hard to follow God? And you know, Nicole and I, we get this phone call from these people. They say, you got 30 days to uh, figure your lives out, basically. And can I just be honest? Those 30 days were agony. Because Nicole and I, we are trying to talk through every scenario. We're trying to pray. We're talking to mentors. We're talking to friends. We're just trying to figure out if this is even something we should do. And we took those 30 days. And on the 30th day, I call these guys back and I say, you know, guys, Nicole and I just don't think this is the next thing for us. And in one single phone call, I slam the door shut to housing hundreds of thousands of dollars, relationships, a network, and this incredible opportunity that, honestly, I was really excited about. Gone in a moment. And there are many words that could describe that little season in Nicole's and I's lives. Discouraged would definitely be one of them. Because I'm sitting here thinking, did I miss God? Am I operating out of fear? Like, did we make the right decision? Where do we even go from here? And I'm just thinking, well, now what? Do we shut this whole thing down? Do we stay in Indiana? Do we still go to Colorado? What do we even do in this place? And I know there's some of us in here, you have had that discouragement creep up into your life too. And you start thinking, how, how does it get better from here? Like, how does this possibly improve at all? And God, you got to send me a lifeline because the weight is building up and I don't even know what I'm doing. Now, stick with me. Stay with me, because God doesn't leave us hanging. I'm not going to leave you hanging here. Now, what's interesting to me is God doesn't just suggest an alternative. He actually commands an alternative. He's saying, I do not want you to live a life directed by fear or discouragement in any way. And he says, this is how I want your life to be marked. He says, be strong and courageous. God is saying, I want you to have an emotional, spiritual fortitude that actually can stand up in any situation. I want you to have this bold confidence in you that can actually see through the immediate obstacles of your life. And if you fast forward the story that we're reading right now about Joshua and this whole promised land, a couple hundred thousand years, you go to the first century. And Christianity is starting to take off. People are talking about this guy, Jesus, who was dead and now he's alive. And what's going on? The whole city is in uproar. It's spreading like wildfire. And there's these guys named Peter and John who are these significant leaders in the early church. And things are getting so out of hand that they actually get pulled in by some authorities of that day to stand trial to explain themselves. And these guys are saying, you guys need to stop. 
We have the power to condemn you to death. You're throwing the city in an uproar. This is disruptive. This isn't working. And Peter and John talk back to these guys who could have him killed in a moment. And they say, guys, there was this dude, Jesus. He was alive. He died. And now he's alive again. We have to talk about that. That is too crazy not to talk about. If you want to kill us, you can. But we're not going to stop. And the account of what happened in this moment is just insane to me. This is talking about the authorities right then. It says in Acts, that's a book in the Bible, he says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now I got to ask you a question today. Are people astonished by your courage? Do people look at your life and see this undeniable boldness and confidence in God that they cannot ignore? Because if I'm being honest, on my best days, I can manufacture some confidence, but so much of my life is driven by fear and discouragement and just reacting to all of the stress and pressure going on in my life. And I'm looking at Peter and John, I'm thinking, what did they have? How were they able to literally face their deaths with this calm, cool, compelling confidence? And I honestly think that none of us actually have the internal resources to kind of build up the necessary courage quotient we need day in and day out. I don't think we can. Because honestly, it just takes one phone call, one bad doctor's report, one bad situation, one economic downturn, and a lot of us end up going in a spiral. And yet, Peter and John had something that was so attractive and compelling. And it says they were unschooled ordinary men. There was nothing special about these guys at all. And yet, they had something so powerful. And I think that note at the end of the verse, put it back up real quick. I think this is important, important to notice from Acts. It says, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, these authorities, they knew Jesus. They saw him. They interacted with him. They, they knew the guy. And they're looking at Peter and John. They're saying, you know what's so weird about these guys? They're acting a lot like that Jesus dude. Like he had that same courage and confidence even when we were threatening him with a cross. They have that same, same dynamic. There's this power in their lives that they didn't seem to be producing on their own. And what these guys could not articulate, but what was going on was Peter and John were drawing from a power source outside of themselves. And this is the thing. What Peter and John had is what God offers to us even today and offers to anyone who seeks him out for it. And God is basically saying, I actually have the antidote to fear. I have the cure for discouragement in your life. And I actually think it's found in the last part of this verse. God says, be strong, be courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. And this is how you're actually going to do that. He says, for the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. Now stop just for one second. Just think about that. Now, if this whole idea of God 
religion, Christianity is still kind of foreign. You're exploring it. Sounds crazy. Let's just do a hypothetical real quick, okay? Just let's think about whether this could actually be an incredible reality. What if there actually were this God who is all-powerful? He has every single resource in the universe at his disposal. This God is all-knowing. You know, his past, present, future, every single intimate detail of your life. Not only that, this God is all-loving. He wants nothing but the absolute best for your life. And this God is promising to be with you through every single turn, transition, change, thing you're trying to navigate. He says, I'll be with you there always, all the time, everywhere, anywhere, never leaving, never clocking out, never giving up, never failing, never forgetting, never dropping the ball. And God says, I'm going to come alongside of you And I am actually going to dispel the fear and discouragement out of your life and actually replace it with this supernatural confidence and courage that will sustain you through any single situation you need to navigate. Now, just think, if this were true, what could you possibly face that this God could not handle? What would there ever really be to be afraid of? Because this God is saying, whatever you go through, good, bad, ugly, it doesn't even matter. I am actually going to supply everything you need. And Nicole and I, we have this phone call, blows up this entire, you know, opportunity. And we're just sitting back. We're like, all right, what do we do now? And we talked it out so much. Where do we go from here? And I don't know if it was just emotions or some bad pizza that night or God, but we said, you know, for some reason, we feel like we are going to be missing something if we don't go to Colorado. We feel like there's just something there for us. We need to see this through. And honestly, this was a family risk. This was a financial risk. This was a faith risk, if you want to call it that. And I still remember, Nicole and I made the 19-hour drive from Chicago to Colorado in one day with a one-year-old infant in the back and a dog. It's as bad as it sounds, by the way. And we stop in this podunk Nebraska town. I mean, this is the sticks, one-stop-like kind of town. And we're sitting at this park. We're tired. We're sweaty. Our kid's crying. My dog is running in circles. And honestly, I'm just like... This is the dumbest thing ever. What, what have I done? This was a huge mistake. I mean, I'm just dragging my family to this place we don't even know or haven't even been to. And honestly, I was just feeling a little bit of discouragement there. Just wondering, how is this going to play out, God? And this was actually the verse I just kept coming back to in those moments. I'm like, you know what, God? I know. I've seen you. You've been with me in Chicago. You've been with Nicole and I in Indiana. Surely you're going to be with us in Colorado too. And as far as I know, there's a God in Colorado, as far as I can tell so far. And I've just, I just held on to that. And, you know, we're still in transition. You know, it's, it's been a crazy month of getting adjusted and meeting people and all that. But I still feel like I have this confidence that I just know God's going to give us what we need. We're going to get through this thing. And I know that some of you in here, you're like, good job, Brian. That's very cute. I'm glad you made it here. Your puppy's cute. Yay. But my situation has not changed. You know, I still have the same diagnosis. 
God hasn't showed up or anything. I don't have any experience of God's presence or power in my life or whatever you're talking about. And I absolutely understand every situation is different. I'm never going to diminish what somebody's going through. But let me just say one thing. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was nailed to a cross through his hands and feet. And he said something that to me may be the most disturbing part of the entire Bible. Because Jesus is hanging from this cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I cringe when I read that. So I think, what would cause a guy like Jesus to cry something out like that? He's the last person that should ever have to say something like that. And what happened in that moment is Jesus took on all the rejection, all the isolation, all the fear, the discouragement of humanity on himself in that moment. And while he did that, he opened the doors to God's love and his grace and his mercy and his presence to all of us as a free gift. God made himself accessible to us through that moment. I just want to ask you, if Jesus was willing to go that far to make himself available to you, do you think he might be willing to be with you through whatever you're going through today? Do you think he might be willing to give you whatever you need to persevere and push through that situation? I'm telling you, he will not hold back. He will not hide himself. He will be with you. And we're going to close here in just a second, but I have a question that I just want to be on the back of our minds during this week. When you're getting up in the morning, when you're commuting to work, when you're at lunch, when you're hanging out with your friends, when you're putting the kids to bed, walking the dog, I want this question just to be mulling in the back of your mind. And it's just simply this. What would you do if you knew God was with you? Like, what if you knew without a doubt, you were so certain that God is with me right now. He's going to give me what I need. His presence is actually right here with me wherever I am, in my car, at work, with my family. And I'm just telling you this, as you start to digest that and maybe open yourself up to this idea that there is this God who loves you and wants to be with you, I think it will actually start to change the way you think about your life the situations you're in, your relationships, you will actually start to see your perspective change when you consider this incredible idea because there's one guarantee that God gives us. And he says, you can be strong and courageous because I am gonna be with you wherever you go. Let's pray together. God, we are in awe of your amazing love that you would go as far as the cross to make yourself open and available to us. And I pray right now in this room, Lord, I know there's fear, there's discouragement. Some of us are weighed down by the changes and struggles and transitions of life. And I pray over every person right now, Lord, that you would encourage them, that they would open themselves up to this fact that you are real, that you are with them, and that you are going to give them everything they need because you promise to be with us. And we pray this in the amazing name of Jesus. Everybody said a good amen. Amen.